Welcome to the American Citizens Abroad podcast. I'm Michelle, and today I'm chatting with ACA's Executive Director, Mary Louise Serrato. Hi, Mary Louise. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Michelle. Thanks for inviting me here. I wanted to give everybody a little bit of a 2021 recap of what ACA has been doing. So thanks so much for inviting me. I saw from ACA's website that 2021 has been a busy year. Could you tell us a bit about ACA's advocacy work in 2021? Happy to. ACA kept up its advocacy work on all our issues throughout 2021. We had particular focus on tax reform, as many of our members and supporters and those visiting the website clearly saw. And we also put a lot of focus on the COVID-19 vaccine distribution for Americans overseas, which continues to be a problem for a lot of Americans living in countries where they have a hard time availing themselves to the vaccine or they don't have great confidence in the vaccine that's being distributed. We can talk more specifically about these later in the podcast, but the important point really that I wanted to make about ACA's 2021 advocacy work is that we really worked hard on keeping up all the contact with the offices and up on Capitol Hill and the stakeholders in Washington, D.C., and in Congress. And this has been a really important factor because of the COVID lockdowns. As you know, most of the congressional offices are still pretty much closed for meetings. Virtual meetings are still available. However, meeting face-to-face is really not easy up in Congress. It's only been taken on very special case-by-case basis. And of course, the Congress has been busy with a lot of other work with the new administration and their interest in a lot of the new legislation that they're putting through. But it can't be overstated that having ACA locally, even if it's locally, virtually, is hugely beneficial and has been hugely beneficial through 2021. And of a lot of the work that we did virtually that was follow-ups from a lot of the writing campaigns, a lot of the letters and submissions that we presented. We actually had a banner year for meetings up on Capitol Hill and not just virtual in the sense that I'm on a phone call with someone, but really virtual offices bringing in two or three staff members. So having a really good group of individuals to present to. One of the first efforts was getting information to the community on the EIP payments and advocating for the COVID-19 vaccine distribution. Could you tell us more about that? Sure. One of our first efforts, as you mentioned, was to get out to the community information on the second round of economic impact payments, EIP. As you know, this has been a bit of an issue for Americans overseas Number one, trying to track where their EIP payment is with the IRS online tool. There have been some improvements with that tool. People have been able at least to see it's on its way or we don't have an answer for you just yet. Not 100% great, but they did make some adjustments to the system. A lot of that at ACA's request or highlighting those issues. So that has been going a bit better. But the other big problem has been getting these checks deposited into foreign financial institutions. And a lot of foreign financial institutions just don't want to deal with the EIP checks, don't want to deal with 
Americans, dual Americans. So ACA's relationship with the State Department Federal Credit Union has been a real lifesaver this year in helping these Americans have a U.S.-based bank account and having the ability to send those checks directly to SDFCU. This can also be done online. You can do it electronically. And it's also been really helpful for direct deposit because as many of the listeners to the podcast will know, the United States can only do direct deposit with a U.S.-based bank account. So they can't take any IP check and do a direct deposit into a foreign bank account. Also, we worked a lot on the issue of distributions of the COVID-19 vaccine for Americans overseas. These efforts led to several congressional letters and also led to Senator Murphy introducing an amendment calling for a strategy from the Biden administration to send supplemental doses of vaccines to U.S. embassies and consulates. The amendment or Senator Murphy's amendment was passed through the U.S. Senate Foreign Relations Committee as part part of the international pandemic preparedness and COVID-19 response. The call to vaccinate Americans overseas received a lot of support. Does that help with other advocacy work ACA is involved in? Absolutely. The fact that there were four congressional letters, three from the House and one from the Senate, and the introduction of the amendment into legislation indicates that offices are aware and are hearing from the community of Americans overseas. Even though the issue was about vaccinations, ACA was able to use this opportunity to go into these offices who had co-signed these letters and talk to them about support for the vaccination distribution, but also educate them on other issues affecting Americans overseas. They already had a knowledge, they already had constituents that were writing to them about this problem. They had knowledge that there's a community of Americans overseas and having these offices already engaged in that issue that was being reported by their constituents and supported by ACA really helped open the door to further support in those offices for other issues. And in fact, a lot of the offices we walked into are now very much in support of tax reform for Americans overseas or interested in learning more about it. ACA joined the RBT, Residence-Based Taxation, coalition at the beginning of 2021. Could you explain for our audience what the coalition is and what it does? Sure. ACA, along with several other groups, was part of the founding groups of organizations that came together to form the RBT coalition we could see, there were several groups that could see that we really needed a coalition that just called for the support of RBT. And the purpose of the coalition is to just lend support to that concept and to show Washington that the support comes from a wide range of groups and organizations and industries. It's not just organizations representing Americans overseas. Business groups, financial managers, tax advocacy groups, and others. These are all groups that support RBT and see the importance of RBT. And that really demonstrates to Congress that this is just not a niche issue. This is a broader issue. And it really makes them sit up, wake up, and pay attention. A lot of times in Congress, 
you'll see these cosine letters where groups will come together and say, we really believe in this piece of legislation or this kind of reform. And it's supported by, and there'll be 20 names on a letter. And this is what the RBT coalition does. Legislators, people who are interested can go over to the website and they read about RBT, the general concept of RBT, which essentially doesn't call for a platform. The coalition doesn't say legislation has to be written one way or another. It simply says the idea of excluding from U.S. taxation income that is earned overseas. That is the concept. That is what we support. So we don't all have to be on the same page about how we get there. And in fact, it allows organizations to think about proposals and their ways of solving the problem, which is always beneficial to Congress, but it puts broad support behind the concept, shows Congress, a lot of organizations, a lot of groups, business included, not just individuals, think this is the smart way to go and the right way to go. Do groups and organizations need to be invited to join the RBT coalition? No, no invitation is needed. If you go and visit the RBT coalition site, and this is something that's been communicated from the beginning, obviously the group needed sort of a core group of people to get together to launch it and start it. But if individuals go to the website and you can include that information in your show notes, organizations are free to request to join the coalition. ACA submitted commentary on several government forms and new proposed processes. Why is doing this important? This is important because it keeps ACA's name out there with Congress and out there with legislators. And it shows that we are really involved and interested on a lot of levels. We're not just a one-trick pony. We're not just talking about tax reform. Many times the U.S. government will request commentary when there are changes to forms, when there are new processes being proposed. In 2021, there was a request for changes to the FBAR, the Foreign Bank Account Report form. There was also a request for the Federal Postcard Application for voting form. And again, it's important for ACA to submit commentary because we can raise issues and concerns that we see the community may have with these forms or changes in these forms and in processes that will really help the community. Without this information, as many of us know, Congress might make an uninformed decision or a change that negatively affects Americans overseas. This reminds Congress on all levels, not just when they're writing legislation, but when they're doing day-to-day work that they need to think about the 5 million Americans overseas and Congress needs to consider their point of view. Speaking of the 5 million Americans overseas, ACA Global Foundation was involved in a big research project in 2021. Could you tell us more about this research project? Yeah, happily. This research project was a big part of ACA and ACA Global Foundation, primarily because they're the one who ran the research work throughout 2021. It all really started back in 2017 when ACA contracted with District Economics Group, DEG, here in Washington, D.C. DEG are consultants and they're revenue estimators, meaning that 
they score legislation. And what that means in layman terms is that they take legislation and determine what the cost of that legislation will be. Oftentimes we hear that the CBO will score legislation. The CBO is the Congressional Budget Office. And that is an institution that's within government. But Congress will also go out to shops like DEG to get an independent scoring or an independent number on the cost of a piece of legislation being considered by Congress. ACA, a while back, I can't even remember, I think we're going back almost eight years now, we created a side-by-side roadmap for RBT. It's not a piece of legislation, but it essentially shows where you need to cut into the current tax code to make it residence-based. And at one point, we said to DEG, what if someone were to write legislation to that roadmap? Can it be done and can it not cost the government any money? And we ran those numbers and we were able to determine, or DEG was able to determine that over a 10-year period, it would not cost the government anything. We were able to get to zero, which is a really hugely important number for any piece of RBT legislation. So since 2017, more recent data has been made available. And ACAGF, or ACA Global Foundation, which is the sister foundation to ACA and does the research and educational work, is now updating that 2017 research project. This research has been critical to offices working on tax reform. The 2017 report has been absolutely critical. It helped with Congressman Holdings' work back in 2018. It has been presented to all the tax writing committees, the Joint Committee on Taxation, and the U.S. Treasury. Having our data in the hands of these offices cannot be overstated. Surprisingly, the U.S. government lacks a complete comprehensive picture of the Americans' overseas community. We know this from the published data that we see on the community and from our meetings in Congress. So ACAGF's research is filling in the gaps, in particular on the size, which the government has not a great number on, the asset and income makeup, again, not completely understood by government offices, and the actual amount of tax raised by taxing Americans overseas. Again, a number that the government doesn't have a complete picture on. ACA anticipates having the result of this second research project in hand before the end of the year. And we will be going back to the offices where we presented the 2017 research. And these offices are eager for the data. They have already been in touch with ACA asking for presentations. We've met with many of them earlier this year, let them know that we were launching the project. So this will be hugely, hugely beneficial. And as an added note, what it also tells us is that there is congressional interest in doing something for Americans overseas. These offices wouldn't want this information if they weren't hearing that there are problems out there and there's some corrective measures that need to be put in place. This has also been evidenced by Congressman Byers' recent legislation, Tax Simplification for Americans, a broad act, which is not RBT legislation, but 
is certainly an outgrowth of what's being heard in these tax writing committee offices and in congressional offices. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. That's great. For those who may not know, could you explain why this research is important for ACA's work on tax reform and what have you been doing on that front? Well, as you know, Michelle, ACA has been on the forefront of advocating for the adoption of residency-based taxation. And as I mentioned before, we created our side-by-side roadmap. Instead of just talking about RBT conceptually, we really sat down and took a look at where you had to go into the code to make these changes. And it's not legislation what we've put together on the roadmap. It's a chart that shows you where you need to cut into the code to make it RBT. It's an important document because it shows Congress where a lot of the problems lie. And it allows them to look at that and to determine where they would like to create regulations and legislation to address the problems. The research we did in 2017, as I just mentioned, and the updated report that's due out any day now, is vitally important to our advocacy work because it gives the offices working on tax reform and the offices that will be costing out or quote unquote scoring legislation, the essential data on the community that they currently don't have. These offices can't move forward without that data. ACA has presented the data and we'll be going back in, as I mentioned before, to present the new research work. But in our mind, this really has to be put on record with the tax writing committees. And the only official way to do that is through hearings. It's great that all these offices have our data and they're working on them and we're sure they're integrating them in their thinking, but we really do need to have hearings. And ACA has been on the forefront with this with a write-in campaign pushing members to write in to their representatives in Congress through our online writing campaign, which is super simple to use. And the messaging also gets in to the tax writing committees. And this campaign has been really beneficial because it has allowed ACA to follow up with the offices that have been contacted to go in and present our work and to educate them more deeply on the issues. A lot of these offices will have a superficial understanding of the issue because they've heard from a constituent. Some have deeper knowledge because a constituent has been very vocal and very informative. And it's great. That's a key component to our work is having people engage in the writing campaigns and get that conversation going. It's the starting point. But What really gets these offices motivated is when ACA and ACAGF can follow up with the problems reported, present our data from a reliable source like DEG. This just isn't data that we've tried to cobble together from published sources. This is something that comes from a consultancy firm that has a reputation and that is respected by these offices. I have often heard you say in webinars and presentations that the numbers will be important. Many in the community feel that RBT should be done because it's the right thing to do and it shouldn't matter how much it costs. What are your thoughts on this? Numbers will matter, in particular when it comes to the reconciliation process. Anyone who tells you they can or Congress can and should pass RBT because it is the right thing to do is not understanding the legislative process. 
Certainly it's the right thing to do. We all know that. But behind that, there is a process that has to be followed. And ACA is not down there to burn down that system or burn down that process. We are working within the system as we understand it, giving what Congress needs to pass legislation, in particular, this type of legislation. We all know that representatives will want full assurance that any kind of RBT legislation will not open the door to tax evasion, nor will have to be paid for by cuts somewhere else affecting their constituents. You may say that it shouldn't work that way and that it should be done on fairness, it should be done because it's the right thing to do, but the reality is that it does work on that process. RBT needs to cost little to nothing and needs to be tight against abuse. Thinking that it doesn't is putting your head in the sand. ACA presented two fantastic webinars on the subject. One in June of 2021, discussing how RBT can be drafted and passed. And one in July of 2021, discussing the importance of revenue estimates and numbers. I encourage everyone listening here today to go to our homepage to find those two webinars and listen to them. They are super education and they really spell out the process and help you to understand why ACA is taking the efforts it's taking, doing the research work that we're doing to support residence-based taxation. Some pundits say that ACA and other organizations are not fighting for pure RBT and that these groups want carve-outs. Do you have thoughts on that? I have heard that argument and frankly, not sure what carve-out they think is being proposed. ACA firmly stands behind the concept of RBT, which is if you earn the income outside of the United States and not in any connection to U.S. economic or financial dealings, then it should not be taxed by the United States. Income generated through investments in the United States while an individual is resident outside the U.S. remains taxed by the U.S., this is the base concept of RBT. I think we all agree on that. I suppose some would argue that having to make an annual filing to the U.S. to attest that you're being outside of the United States and therefore subject to RBT leaves in place an idea of CBT. Frankly, we don't get that this reporting is creating a carve-out. Another possible carve-out that may be seen is some sort of pay-to-play scenario where at some income asset level individuals would have to pay to avail themselves to the system. We don't know if that's needed, but again, the tax writing committees are already concerned about tax evasion by those who would find loopholes in the system. Sticking your head in the sand and saying that this isn't an issue and that Congress should just do the right thing and ignore these people is ignoring the reality. The biggest problem with pushing too hard against not wanting any controls for RBT is that for sure it'll make the cost of passing RBT skyrocket. Hearings, again, are key as these committees need to understand the problems so that they can write the legislation and balance it against cost and potential abuse, which essentially is a cost and believe us, a big one. We know this from our meetings with JCT, the tax writing committees, and other congressional offices that we've met with. 
You've been busy on the tax reform front, calling on hearings and meetings with offices. What else have you been doing? ACA, as always, continues to submit testimony to the committees when they are holding hearings on a variety of issues. ACA submitted testimony to the U.S. Treasury, again calling for a de minimis ruling for the transition tax and guilty regimes, pulling out from the reporting regime small businesses overseas that were never intended to be subject to the tax. We also provided testimony to the Senate Finance Committee on their hearings discussing the tax gap, the loss of revenue due to tax evasion and non-compliance, on their hearings discussing overhauling the international tax regime, and on their hearings discussing how international tax policy impacts American workers' jobs and investment. ACA also wrote to the House Ways and Means Committee asking them to investigate the fairness of the new child tax credit. New changes in the law make the child tax credit not available to certain Americans overseas. Again, keeping ACA in the forefront on these issues, reminding the committees that ACA is out there monitoring issues, is important for putting focus on issues and building awareness for the community. Congress is getting the message that this community can no longer be ignored. I can assure you of that. I guess the big end of the year news has been the introduction of legislation by Congressman Beyer to help simplify tax filing requirements for certain Americans overseas. How is ACA helping with this legislation? First of all, keep in mind that Congressman Beyer's legislation, the Tax Simplification of Americans Abroad Act, is not RBT. And it in no way replaces residence-based taxation. What the legislation attempts to do is provide for a simplified filing form, similar to the old 1040Z, so that certain Americans overseas, those earning under 400,000 and owing no U.S. tax, have an easier way to file. The legislation also expands the kind of income that can be excluded with the Foreign Earned Income Exclusion, the FEIE. Essentially, it allows the FEIE to include some categories of unearned income. Congressman Byers' legislation is a great first step, a conversation starter, so to speak. Legislation like this needs to be reviewed in hearings in the context of all the other tax and compliance issues. And this does give ACA an opportunity to push even harder for hearings. ACA has data and research to present. Other groups have data. Individuals have testimonials. There is previous legislation introduced, Congressman Holdings' 2018 bill, and now Congressman Byers' bill. There is also Congresswoman Maloney's bills, the Commission on Americans Abroad Act, and the Overseas Americans Financial Access Act. All this puts pressure on the House Ways and Means Committee to do what they have never done before, hold hearings on the issues of concern for this community. ACA is pleased to see Congressman Byer get involved and activated on the issue. However, we stand firmly behind our goal of adoption of RBT as the ultimate corrective measure to the tax and compliance issues of Americans overseas. Looks like you've been super busy on tax, but what about some of the other issues? What else has ACA been doing? Throughout 2021, ACA heard about slowdowns for citizen services at U.S. embassies and consulates overseas. A big problem was with procuring birth certificates from abroad and first-time Social Security number applicants. 
The slowdown and stoppage of services can't all be blamed on the U.S. embassies and consulates themselves. Many were operating in countries that had their own COVID closure requirements on top of what the U.S. embassies and consulates themselves were imposing. In some cases, it made it impossible to get these services. This was and is unfortunate, but frankly, this has been new territory for all countries, not just the United States. ACA raised these issues with the U.S. State Department and with Social Security Administration, as anything dealing with Social Security, benefits, numbers, etc., for Americans overseas is handled either directly by the Social Security Administration or the Federal Benefits Units, FBUs, in the U.S. embassies and consulates. We are working closely with both the U.S. State Department and the Social Security Administration to get information out to the community about when services will be back up and running on site and how to manage processes in the interim. Social Security is also working on ways for U.S. citizens to create and access accounts directly online, something ACA has long advocated for. There have been some community perceptions that Social Security is purposely not issuing first-time Social Security numbers for individuals who want to renounce, and this is not the case. In meetings we have had with Social Security Management, they have assured us that they are working to get systems and processes up and running as soon as possible. However, birth certificates from abroad and passports are a priority. Additionally, and unfortunately, first-time Social Security applicants must be done in person. And the process is generally long, even before COVID. It has always been this way. As Social Security is concerned about fraud and abuse with Social Security numbers, and so first-time applicants must be done in person. This is nothing new, and it is no relation to COVID protocols. Many people on social media have reported difficulties in getting online access to IRS services to check on their EIP payments, to check their tax refunds, et cetera, et cetera. Has ACA been active on this issue? Absolutely. ACA was brought on board the IRS team that was working on the Taxpayer First Act. We were brought on board as an advisory body for international tax issues. We were thrilled to do this, to help out the IRS, to identify for them where problems existed. We were able to educate the IRS on what services overseas Americans need. Online access and the ease of identity verification are at the top of the list, as well as a toll-free call number where qualified representatives can get answers. All too often, Americans overseas will call into the phone numbers to the IRS that aren't toll-free and oftentimes aren't able to get really the specialized kind of information that they need. The IRS has made this a priority, and although I can't give a date for when many of these changes will put in place, they are on the IRS's plan of action. Already a new system of verification called ID.me has been introduced. It is working for some Americans overseas, and the ACA will be having a presentation of the tool made to us later this month so that we can go out and better explain it to the community. ACA has also kept up its relationship with the taxpayer advocate. This really is the taxpayer's voice into Congress. Aaron Collins, the new taxpayer advocate, is very interested in the problems Americans overseas are facing with regard to tax and compliance. In the taxpayer advocate's mid-year report to Congress, several of the community issues were highlighted. Primary among them was the issue of creating online access 
and better servicing of the IRS to the community. The Taxpayer Advocate supports the harmonization of the FBAR and FATCA filing, the Foreign Bank Account Report, and the Foreign Account Tax Compliance Act, which many of us know has a lot of overlap, and also working on a recommendation to modify the definition of willful for purposes of entering into streamlined compliance programs. Much of the determination of willful in these programs is left subjective to the IRS, which actually drives individuals away from compliance rather than towards compliance. ACA met with the taxpayer advocate to educate and inform her and her team on what is being reported to ACA by the community and offer our suggested corrections for many of these problems, many of which they are considering. Has ACA done any advocacy for some of the citizenship issues that children of U.S. parents born abroad face? Yes, most definitely. In 2021, ACA wrote in support of legislation, the American Families United Act. The act recognizes the right of U.S. citizens to challenge decisions that separate them from their spouses and children's living overseas. In addition, the legislation calls for correcting the problem of U.S. citizens who have they themselves not fulfilled the U.S. residency requirements that allow them to pass along their U.S. citizenship to their children born overseas. ACA estimates that there are 60,000 individuals affected by this. Once again, this legislation currently introduced and in seeking co-sponsors gives ACA the opportunity to educate new offices about not only the citizenship issues Americans face overseas, but other issues. ACA's advocacy on this has been beneficial in opening up new doors in Congress and gaining new support and champions for the community on other issues such as tax. ACA's had a busy 2021. Is there anything else that you've been working on that we forgot to cover? ACA has been covering Congress 24-7, as I mentioned before, so that has been really keeping us super busy. Even though Capitol Hill was not accepting and continues not to accept on-site meetings, we were able to meet virtually and keep those important relationships going, educate new offices and representatives and keep the community informed. And again, what's really important and notable about these virtual meetings is that they really brought in a lot of staffers. Sometimes they were one-on-one meetings, but most often it was with two or three staffers in a particular office and on the tax writing committees, many more individuals. ACA stayed in touch with all the tax writing committees, Senate, House, Joint Committee of Taxation, Government Accounting Office, the U.S. Treasury, the IRS. We also worked hard to keep our stakeholders involved and interested in the issues. Tax advocacy organizations, other overseas organizations, AmCHAMs, business community organizations, a wide list of stakeholders. And finally, we were pleased to see the reintroduction of the Americans Abroad Caucus with a new Republican co-chair, Maria Elvira Salazar from Florida, who joins Congresswoman Maloney and Congresswoman Titus, the two co-chairs on the Democratic side. The caucus has also written several letters on vaccine distribution and has written to Congressman Neal, encouraging him to investigate the problems of tax compliancy for Americans overseas. Congressman Maloney, as I mentioned before, has also introduced, again, her two bills, the Commission on Americans Overseas Abroad Act, which is very similar to 
what we are calling for on hearings and the Overseas American Financial Access Act, which very much mirrors ACA's suggestion for same country exemption in the reporting of FATCA accounts, essentially taking out of the FATCA reporting regime accounts an American holds in the country of their residence overseas. So their local French accounts are not foreign to them and should not be reported. The caucus is an important representative body that helps to support our efforts. And least we forget all the great things that ACA does for the community by keeping the community informed through our newsletter, our email blasts, our podcasts, our webinars. ACA was also invited this year to present at a host of webinars by other groups so that more individuals could hear about the great work ACA is doing in Washington, DC, because again, we are the only organization, nonpartisan, representing the overseas community headquartered right down the road from Capitol Hill. What can people listening to this podcast do to help ACA? Well, first and foremost, please become a member of ACA. It only costs $70 and it gives you access to the very important ACA SDFCU bank account. This account is like an insurance policy, stateside banking services, and can open it up using your foreign address. No U.S. address is needed. We know there are a lot of online banking products available, but you never know how regulations are going to change and affect those. But with a ACA, State Department Federal Credit Union, stateside bank account where you can transfer funds and do full banking, not just a one-time transfer, which a lot of the online banking services offer, but they also have an ability to have you roll over 401ks and IRAs, which for many in the community has been a problem. So really join ACA and get access to this great product. Volunteer. We are always looking for an extra pair of hands. Send us your resume, a brief letter of introduction telling us why you would like to help out ACA or ACAGF. And lastly, donate. Memberships and donations fund our work. Donations to ACA fund our advocacy efforts, our beating the halls of Congress and knocking on doors. However, they are not tax deductible. Donations to ACAGF, our research and educational branch, are tax deductible and help fund our very important research and educational work. Visit our website to find out more and please become a member and get involved. Thanks for joining us today, Mary Louise. Thanks, Michelle. Thanks for inviting me and allowing me to come here and tell you all about the great work that ACA has been doing throughout 2021. And we will be continuing all of this into 2022 and hope to be doing more on a lot of the issues and topics that we talked about. We will definitely have our research completed by the end of this year. So that is going to be a big focus of our first quarter. So hopefully we can come back and do an updated podcast and let you know what's going on in the first quarter of next year. And again, with that, have a good end of year and great holidays to everyone. The American Citizens Abroad podcast is a monthly podcast that is published the second Tuesday of each month. It is edited and produced by me, Michelle, and is a product of American Citizens Abroad. You can find us on Twitter at ACA underscore podcast, on Facebook at American Citizens Abroad podcast, or you can email us at podcast at americansabroad.org. 
Remember, give us a good rating on Apple Podcasts so other Americans living abroad can find us.